This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. This is a special episode marking 12 months since the Newcastle United takeover was complete. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by our Newcastle United editor, Aaron Stokes. And we're going to reflect on the last year of the ownership under public investment fund, PCP Capital Partners and the Rubens. It has been a whirlwind 12 months. I'm going to be joined by a fan panel, uh, very kindly few fans got in touch and offered up their views uh, i asked them several questions and it's going to be a great pleasure to share their views on what is no longer new ownership Aaron, we were discussing this in the office earlier this week uh, when do we stop calling them new ownership i think at this point in time we probably can uh, before i introduce the panel just sum up briefly because i'll get your longer views later in the show the last 12 months of this and for the last time i'm going to say it new ownership of newcastle united yeah no longer the new owners just the owners now we can finally start writing in all our articles about how their new owners look an amazing 12 months i don't think many fans expected it to go as well as it has they've barely put a foot wrong um across all avenues of the club the fan relationship the players have signed the manager they've brought in um just a, a, a revolutionary 12 months and one that, you know, seemed so far away, um, you know, when we were struggling on through the Mike Ashley era and there was sort of no end in sight. But yeah, look, absolutely fantastic. 100%. And what you heard at the start of the show was the atmosphere up at St. James's Park on the 7th of October, 12 months today. I was there uh, from about 10 a.m. in the morning right through the night as the news came through and then the big party broke out and we'll get onto that later in the show because as well as looking back at what the owners have done it's really important to look at back at what was there in Newcastle before and not that we need reminding about Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce but also the relief and elation that came with that announcement that Newcastle United had finally been sold but without further ado what I'm going to do is introduce the panel so here they are. Hi, I'm Kendall Rowan, a Newcastle fan and content creator. Hi, my name's Chris. I'm a season ticket holder living just outside Chester. My name's David Craig and I've been supporting Newcastle United since 1975. Hi, so my name is uh, Lawrence Taylor. I'm a Newcastle fan from uh, Time Out. My name's Daniil Baines and I've been following NUFC since 1990. Hi, I'm Steve. I'm a Newcastle fan from Middlesbrough. My name is Christer and I'm a Newcastle supporter from Norway. Hi there, I'm Matt from NUFC 360. So there you have the panel, some voices and some names you may recognise and some you will not, but they've all spoken really well. I'm really excited to let you guys hear what they've had to say about various subjects covering the Newcastle United takeover and the last year. We're going to go right back to the start now though and we're going to talk about Newcastle United prior to the 7th of October 2021 as well as 
the saga because this didn't just happen overnight. It didn't just happen like the Burnley takeover did uh, or uh, various ones since. It took many, many months, many years for it to, to get pushed through. And I think the first thing that, that strikes me looking back is on the 6th of October, uh, you know, before we started getting whisper after whisper that this was actually going to happen, I would have gladly woken up to a text to a news notification that said 100% categorically the takeover is not happening because I don't know about you Aaron as a journalist and as a Newcastle United fan I was sick to the back teeth of going back and forth back and forth and being left in limbo it wasn't doing anyone any good 100% I think you've hit the nail on the head there just for us personally as journalists we've you know we'd covered so many false dawns where we thought this is the moment where Ashley finally loses the club and, you know, this new era is welcomed in on Tyneside. And also as a fan, you know, we, we'd been through the ringer so many times of, you know, false promises and, you know, owners saying that they were going to come and take the club off Ashley's hands. And look, on the 6th of October, there was sort of a feeling of that still, you know, there was still that air of uncertainty. You could never be sure because you'd been hurt so many times before. So I think I'd agree with you. I think 24 hours before, if somebody had said it's completely off, then you would have just said, look, we're used to it, we've expected it. Um, and we would have just plodded along with Ashley as we had done for 14 years. Because, of course, the last game prior to the takeover going through was a trip to Wolves, and there was a real sense of apathy, as we're going to hear from the fans, some of them that were down at the Molyneux on that Saturday. But even prior to that Wolves game, I think a lot of people were just going to to games, were just watching on telly out of a sense of tradition it's what they'd always done and, and you always felt it was something you should continue to do even if you, you weren't fully committed to it you know in protest of Mike Ashley and the lack of ambition but I do I did get a sense a lot of people were just doing it because it's what they'd always done they weren't enjoying it they knew that really what was the best Newcastle were going to achieve under Mike Ashley it was survival at best it was one decent player maybe every summer but with a threat of losing your best player in the January market or the window after. And it was, it was just, it was just so disheartening. It was, it was a, it was a soulless football club. You didn't want to go to home games. Credit to the, to the fans that, you know, travel down to the away games, even during that sort of the lowest ebbs of the Bruce era. As I said, yeah, just soulless, you know, empty stadiums, just no pride in the club being taken it from those who were running it. Fans, you know, in turn reacting that well, you know, it was just a club sleepwalking towards relegation. And I think that Wolves game sticks out in so many fans' minds. You know, a lot of fans travelled to Mondino that day and they all came out of that stadium thinking this is a club heading one way and it's towards relegation. And it's actually quite bizarre to see the, you know, the change of atmosphere in those two weeks from Molyneux to the Spurs game. Um, just completely contrasted, you know, night and day from a club that had no hope to a club that suddenly had so much ambition. Yeah, I mean, the change has been something special. Um, and what we're going to do now is hear from our panel. And I asked them about what it was like to support Newcastle United in the weeks and months prior to the takeover, about that apathy, about being in that Wolves away end. So uh, here are their views. Yeah, there wasn't much hope for the season because we knew we needed to strengthen the squad. We hadn't much. We knew that we needed to fight again probably in a relegation battle again so was very very negative at the time and I remember the game before the takeover the Wolves game where we got beat 2-1 away that car ride home 
was the longest, quietest, most miserable car journey home I think I've ever had, especially from a football match. So yeah, it was just, again, very negative and, and wasn't a good atmosphere at the time. The despair of having Mike Ashley as the owner was really bearing toll. And at the same time, you had Steve Bruce, who really played, what you say, not quality football. And it was really hard to comprehend all this, really hard to feel enjoyment and excitement of Newcastle. And the really bottom line when the Wolves game was over, I really had to ask myself, is it really worth it? It's really, what's the point of following Newcastle when nothing, nothing going to change? No hope, no positivity, no, you know, it was just grim outlook. Um, just dark clouds hanging over St James's Park and no way to progress and just didn't see no future in terms of progression and improvement with Steve Bruce and Mike Ashley at the helm. I think back to just before the takeover, I suppose it was a sense of drudgery um, that we were just, it was almost like rinse and repeat. We'd been through all this before. I mean, it wasn't the first time it looked like we were going to get relegated. It's obviously happened a couple of times recently, but you just started to ask yourself, well, what is the point? Why are we doing it? Where all the hope had been uh, taken away over the previous period. And, you know, the, the effort that goes into going to games, the money that it costs, you ask yourself, really, what was the what was the point? That week and those few days leading up to the uh, day to the takeover just felt amazing. Um, I felt like as though it went on for too long. It went on for a year too long. Um, we had loads of different protests, such as in London, um, different petitions. Um, and I just felt as though we'd lost hope of, it, of takeover ever happening, to be honest. Quite a few voices there, Aaron. But an underlying point, I think, from everybody. What do you take from, from what they had to say there? Look, I think they're all spot on. I think, you know, Kendall summed it up perfectly when she said it was just a feeling of despair after that Wolves game. You know, Newcastle fans at times have been, you know, accused of being, you know, they want too much. But really, at that point, they just wanted, you know, anything other than what they were seeing on the pitch and, and in the boardroom. So, and look, you know, there was that fatigue, that takeover fatigue that fans felt because of how long it had dragged on. All the issues, you know, the separating of the PIF and the KSA, you know, the piracy issue, all these things that had plagued the takeover uh, attempt from Stavely and PIF. And I think that was why when it eventually happened on the 7th of October, it was just so much relief because all these, you know, all these issues that had been surrounding it had just gone. And, you know, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the club was just facing a really, really different future. Mm. And I think one of the, the interesting points there made by a, by a couple of people actually both called Chris is the question of, well, like, why? What is, what is the point? Because that is what most Newcastle United fans felt. What is the point if Mike Ashley can't be bothered to put in a reasonable amount of money to make sure this club grows every season? Then why should we give our season ticket money? Why should we go home and away? Why should we buy the shirts? And ultimately, why should we support this club? And for fans to actually question that, because I know we say it uh, a lot on this podcast, and maybe as Newcastle fans and as Newcastle people, we're maybe a little bit guilty of being in our own little bubble and saying that they're a different breed up here, these fans. But it is true, you know, um, few other clubs are like Newcastle United fans. So for them to sit there at home and consider whether it is worth hopping on a train or, or, or Chris there, for example, who's a, who's a season ticket holder and lives in, in Chester, 
for him to hop on the train, drive up, that's not cheap. But he was seriously considering what is the point. And that shows you just how, you know, how bad it had got under Mike Ashley. Look at it, it got so bad. And I think one of the things Mike Ashley will surely come to regret in the years when he, when, you know, when he gets old and he's reflecting on his life achievement is how on earth did I mess up the chance to own a football giant in Newcastle United. You look at, yes, he hasn't got the same amount of funding that, you know, the Saudis have got, but if he had just given it a little bit of care and attention and not ran it the way he had, you know, he could have had 14 years of real success. And I think the fact that, you know, he must be kicking himself now and looking at it and thinking, what on earth have I done? Because obviously watching how Newcastle United fans are and the love that they've got for these owners... Um, it's it was just fourteen years and over a decade of just such such a waste. But look, yeah, Newcastle United fans, you know, you're probably all right. We're probably guilty of of saying it up here and about how passionate it is. But it's so noticeable, and I think even if that takeover hadn't happened a year ago, you would have still had fans making the drive. A lot of them not packing in their season tickets because it's just it's just a way of life up here. And I think. Just thank God somebody saw that and thought we're going to take this football club on and make it into the club it should be. Well, that's the other interesting point, isn't it? I, I fully believe that had it been another owner with half of what this group have got, Newcastle United fans still would have been happy as long as they had been presented a plan of ambition. Yeah. And even if it had been a 10, 15-year growth plan of, look, we don't just want to survive every season, it's not going to be a you know, a straight at the top six job, it'll take time. But as long as there was something there that said this club is going to do more than exist, then they would have taken that. It just happens to be the falling, quite luckily, on the richest group uh, in, in club football. I think they would have taken anyone. I think they would have even taken that Bellanova group who were photoshopping photos of a bomb at one point. Honestly, it did just get the point where anybody was seen as better than Mike Ashley. And, and as you've just touched on there, the club have got lucky in a way that, yes, there's a lot of issues around the Saudi ownership, but the people that are running this club day to day have got a real plan to try and make this club, and they've got the funds to do it, to make this club, you know, the next giant of, of English football. And of course, not just the fans as well, that were probably losing a bit of heart. You would probably think the players as well. We had Alan St. Maxman coming out once or twice saying, you know, the club need to start showing ambition. I'm sure Callum Wilson probably privately was was thinking the same thing, and 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 others as well, because you know if you're the best at, at, at the club, you don't want to remain top of the tree, so to speak. You want other players to come in at, at your level at the very least, and that just wasn't happening at Newcastle United, and that that was down to Mike actually not wanting to spend money, not wanting to see maybe that, or not wanting to spend the money to see the team grow, and you know. It, it would have only taken a matter of time before St. Max knocked on the door and said, look, I'm, I'm going. Callum Wilson as well, probably, especially with the, even though he's been injured, he's been scoring goals. If he'd done that under Ashley, could you comfortably say he'd be here now? I, I don't think you could. No, nah, not at all. I think you would have had so many players that had just got fed up of you know the lack of investment from the board down, the lack of investment in actually wanting to get a decent manager in. I mean, a lot of them didn't say it, but... They all, you know, made it pretty clear once Steve Bruce left that the standard on the trainer pitch wasn't what it should be for a Premier League club. Look, you've just got to look back over the last 10 years, how much wasted talent they brought in because Mike Ashley wanted to save a penny or two by buying unknown players rather than players that actually, you know, would have going to take this club forward. So 100%, and I think actually when you look at some of the players that are still at the club, 
Maxi Shelby Wilson. Um, actually, it's a surprise that actually got them in the first place, given you know the years of stagnation that Newcastle actually had. One hundred percent. Let's go on to then the day before sixth of October, and then into the day of the seventh. You know, like we say, it started gathering pace, didn't it, towards the end of the sixth, and then you into the seventh, and you know, I get the call to say, right, you've got to go to St James's Park and then spend the day there, and. and it was funny because in the morning there was more journalists there than there was reporters and then gradually I think people took an extended lunch break and then didn't maybe go back to the office and then the crowd started the, the square kind of outside of where Shearer's statue now stands alongside Sir Bobby's statue started to fill up gradually but the one thing that, that struck me um, that especially early on was yes there was excitement but there was a real sense of you know are we about to get stung here because we were expecting the announcement pretty early on that day and it didn't come um, until later on and every hour it was what you know what are we waiting for what's the latest and you know you were just turn around and saying we're literally just waiting for this to drop but you you could really sense that people were nervous that this was going to go uh belly up yeah 100% and I think look they've they've been stung so many times before this farm base I think it's that old saying that until he stood on the pitch with a scarf, it wasn't going to be believed. And in this case, it wasn't until Amanda Stavely was at Jasmine Dean House speaking to reporters that fans actually believed it. So, yeah, 100%. I remember, you know, 6th of October, as you say, early afternoon, it started being whispered around that, you know, it was actually legit. It was on the cusp of um, happening. I remember it being 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning on the 7th. And we're all sort of refreshing our Twitter and refreshing our emails thinking, you know, where's the statement? Um, and look, I remember it being a very, very nervous time. You just did not put it past Mike Ashley to pull the rug at the 11th hour. And thankfully, he didn't. No, and it came around about quarter past 20 past five, didn't it, after waiting? And I think I've told this story before on the podcast, but I'll tell it again because, well, it is an episode about the takeover. But I remember everyone, at this point, it must have been about, quarter to five and everyone was waiting in the square and there was a really jubilant atmosphere and this this chap is across the other side of the road where the food bank is set up and he just shouts it's done it's done and it suddenly you know travels up towards kind of like you know the statues and, and there's just this massive roar and people start throwing cans of beer in the air and <laughs> hugging each other and you just get this kind of look at the journalists and reporters that are there like uh well yeah we can't get any signal B, we've not got anything through for those who could get signal. But everyone had thought they got done. But this guy just set, a, not a false alarm, because I think he was coming off the back of um, a tweet from a, a Sky Sports colleague who had, who had said his understanding is and all that. But it wasn't official. So you were still waiting. Oh, wait there. Let's just wait. But the scenes had started. So it was kind of, there was kind of two celebratory moments. It was that chap on the other side. So if you are listening, congratulations. That'll be the, the moment I remember from that day. And uh, and then obviously when it did get confirmed about half an hour later, but the scenes up there were just were just unbelievable. And and when that you know statement did finally come, there was a moment of relief. There was you know grown men crying. There was strangers hugging one another. There was you know people just re- just s- sighing with relief that this day had finally come because you had you had two elements. You had fourteen years of Mike Ashley and the club stagnating and not, and not going anywhere and no hope under him. And then you had the actual saga, which had played out for so long. And like I mentioned at the start of the episode, just day after day, you know, refreshing. We check, you know, getting little, little bits here and there, but not anything that really, you know, 
said it was going to happen and you so to have that saga complete and Mike Ashley leaving that is why there was just such a, a just a, a sense of relief and that is why I, you know grown men were, were were crying at St James's Park on the 7th of October I think there's a third element that you've missed there I think one it was the most importantly it was the 14 years of Mike Ashley being over secondly it was the the saga that had rumbled on for so long and three I think admittedly lowest of the priorities was actually the fact that Newcastle United all of a sudden had become you know in quotation marks the richest club in the world and it wasn't as you said before it wasn't just anybody taking over the club it was actually you know one it was Stavely who had tried so hard to to push this through for years and two it was all of a sudden well what on earth is this going to mean for Newcastle United so look yeah it was it was a cocktail of things and and one of my biggest regrets is that I was actually working that afternoon and, and I was in my flat on the quayside working for the Nationals and I didn't actually get to go down to the stadium as I, as I would have loved to um, if I hadn't had to write about a million articles about it. But yeah, look, it was a fantastic day. I remember my flatmate coming in at about 11 o'clock and he was just sat there and it was as if he was just drained from you know the excitement of it. He was just slumped on the sofa thinking... You know, is it a dream? Uh, you know, am I? Is this going to happen? Is it going to get pulled away from us tomorrow? Out of nowhere, it was just a sort of feeling of disbelief, really. Mm, I, I'm not going to lie to you. It's probably my most favourite day as a journalist. You know, I know some colleagues were up actually at Jasmine Dean House and meeting a man Steve, and that was fantastic. And you know, they did a brilliant job, and they would have loved doing that. But for me to be then with the crowds. You know, and and you, because you got a real sense of just what it meant, and you know, I've mentioned before, my dad ended up coming out, so I have that moment as well to cover it and bring it to you guys who couldn't be there. You know, we've got listeners all over the world. We've got you know people in here f- in this episode from the United States, from from Norway, and listeners, let's say, uh, in the likes of Australia and Singapore. You know, all over the world, and of course, all over the United Kingdom as well. So to be able to bring you the videos and the coverage from the ground and make you feel part of it was an absolute privilege on my part. But then to experience it as well, you know, with my nearest and dearest was, was another brilliant moment. And just sharing what everyone there as a fan felt as well. I mean, there was kids on shoulders and, you know, all they're going to now know, Touchwood, is this ambitious Newcastle United. And thankfully, uh, not the, 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 the era of Mike Ashley. What I'm going to do now is play another section of our fan panel. And this is all about the 7th of October, 2021. So the deal is being confirmed. Newcastle United has been sold. How are you feeling? Absolutely buzzing. This couldn't get better. This is absolutely everything that the tune wants. Come on! How are you feeling? Absolutely out on the moon! How are you feeling? I mean, we've come from work, like... This is the best part of the castle, hasn't it? We've done it. Oh, please don't take me home. I just don't want to go to work. Oh, I'll see you. Take all your fear. Please don't, please take me home. 
sheer joy everybody was on the same side there was no infighting there was no you know battles within the fan base we were all just together we were celebrating we were joyful it was just really really good Sam Fender being there topped it off because he's such a good representation of our region and yeah it was just so nice everyone being in one place and actually being happy about being in one place it was just really really nice and honestly the the love and happiness i felt in that night was really immense luckily luckily the out of the blue the taker was announced and that's probably one of my happiest day of my life i'm probably going to remember for a long long time if not the rest of my life incredible and it took me back to that moment when my dad was ready to go at the match and he said okay um put your put your coat on and your scarf and that was it and i was like well why in that moment before he told us that i was going to the match it was that thought of is this actually happening is is this like really really happening you know that excited six-year-old kid and it was just fantastic it was the same feeling. It took me back to that same feeling. Adrenaline flowing through me, wanting to jump up and down. I just remember um, wanting to get there to the ground from uni. And um, that noise when um, it went through, when the Premier League uh, dropped uh, their statement and just all the party atmosphere around the ground, chanting, we are the Geordies going up. Um, you know, past the um, players' entrance at the Milburn stand. Um, just um, night to remember. I am sure I'm not alone in saying that I genuinely can't describe the way I felt when the takeover went through. The buzz in the city, because I was there filming a few things takeover-related at the time. The buzz on social media with the impatience mixed with excitement. And Amanda's interview where she said, it's done, it's done. Yeah, it was just an incredible feeling, one of absolute elation, one of relief and also a little bit of uncertainty as well because just with the ownership and, and the various issues. But yeah, overall, absolutely incredible, incredible feeling. So there we have, you know, a brilliant summing up of, of how it felt to to watch Newcastle finally be sold. And what stood out for me there, Aaron, was the words of Davy. Now, you might recognise Davy. He uh, volunteers for the food bank. He's out there on match days collecting any loose pennies that you might have. He's, uh, and he's, he's a really uh, big help to the food bank. But him just saying he felt like a six-year-old again, going to his first ever Newcastle United match. And that resonated with me because that's how I felt when my dad came up, you know, and we celebrated together that Mike Ashley had finally gone. And I think Davy's message there about just kind of, feeling born again in many ways is exactly the feeling that many will probably have hoped they could have actually bottled because it's a feeling we'll probably never ever get again as a as a Newcastle United fan I think you know I've just been thinking there when I was listening to those um that montage of the panel and I was just thinking when when on earth are we going to get scenes like that outside James's Park ever again and you'd think probably not until they win the league which I know Amanda Stavely wants to do it, but it's probably still quite a way away. be a totally um, different celebration than Warner because, like I said, it was a sense of relief. I think winning the Premier League, winning a cup, yeah. I know what you mean, but it'll yeah. be something totally different. Oh, you, you'll never, ever, ever get that that type of celebration again in, the, in terms of, like you say, the relief behind it and, you know, finally the weight had been lifted after all these years and it was just a feeling that you were free and, like you, as like someone said there... Um, 
everybody in the same place celebrating the same thing. There was no division anymore. You know, lots of people for the Tate or against it. Lots of people over the years that had been split on so many issues at what was such a toxic club at times. Really, everybody just on the same playing field. Everyone on the same page, there for the same reason. And it was just to celebrate. And and you you do make a good point. As you say, there'll probably be times again in the future where you see seems similar to it, but that, you know, the meaning behind it, I think you're spot on in the sense that we probably won't see that ever again. It's interesting you mentioned there Amanda Stavely. Now, Kendall there referenced Amanda Stavely leaving the hotel and saying it's done, it's done, and the sense of joy that that brought. And then she sat down, like I say, with local journalists as well as Sky Sports. And I'm just going to read a few quotes here from an interview she did with Sky Sports in the immediate aftermath of the takeover going through. And she said... Newcastle United deserves to be top of the Premier League. We want to get there. It will take time, but we will get there. We're probably part of the Premier League. It's an incredibly competitive league, which we love. Premier League football is the best in the world, and Newcastle is the best team in the world. We want to see it get those trophies, obviously. At the top of the Premier League in Europe, but to get trophies means patience, investment, and time. We want everyone to work with us to build the club towards what it needs to be. Just take a moment. I mean, I know we're a year after, but still, take a moment to just take that in. This is Newcastle United's co-owner speaking ambitiously, speaking about wanting to win trophies, speaking about wanting to be the best. I mean, Newcastle United fans that, uh, when they got home and maybe read that, listened to that, watched that, they would have, after after coming down perhaps, (laughs) would have gone straight back up. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think Stavely could have came in and said anything. She could have said, look, we want to finish 16th every year and it doesn't matter. It would have been an improvement. But to come out to her credit and be as bold as that in her first statement and a lot of people probably, as you say, want the next morning when they've sobered up and they've read that statement thinks, look, she's, she's probably been a bit too ambitious now. But if the last 12 months have shown us anything, it's that she's deadly serious. Everything she said in that first interview with, with journalists at, at, in Jesmond, you can tell she's stuck by that. And it's not just, it wasn't just the being caught up in the moment of the day and she's finally got this club and she's going to promise all these things that they can't keep. There's generally a feeling that they've got a plan to make this happen. Well, there's, there's key words in those quotes that I just read out, and it is patience and time. And, and the consistent message from those in and around the club is that it's going to be slow and it's going to be steady. You're not going to see what Man City did and just throw a bucket loads of cash at it because it isn't there. The, the landscape has changed. Man mm-hmm. City, via doing that, changed the landscape, you know. And we've seen the troubles that Newcastle have had in the transfer market, although overall they've done pretty well and we will get onto that later on in the show. But the, the message of being a slow and steady build is one which I think is really important. And actually, like you say, they've stuck to it. Newcastle United fans are well on board with it. And I think a call for anything else tends to come from people well outside of the fan base, well outside the club, who actually don't understand what's going on, don't understand what Newcastle fans want, and always throw that horrendous word at Newcastle United fans, which is expectation. Yeah, I think if you speak to the vast majority of Newcastle United fans, look, there's always going to be a couple that want Messi and Mbappe brought in in the next transfer market. But I think if you speak to 99% of them, they know exactly where this club's going and they know how long it's going to take and they're fully behind it. And I think the owners have done everything right since they've come in. I think they've made the right appointments behind the scenes to make sure that 
this process. Yes, it'll take a while, but it's going to speed it up. Eddie Howe was the right man at the right time, and he's proved to be a very shrewd sign. And as you say, they could have easily gone out and spent a lot of money in the summer and completely shattered their wage structure, their transfer budget for a quick success. And they haven't. They've stuck to their guns. And yes, they've brought in some fantastic players, but they haven't disrupted what Eddie Howe's built in the last 11 months. And look, it will take time, but I think you know this club is you know it knows where it's going and it'll get there sooner rather than later. And we'll talk more about the club's ambitions later on in the show. But you might remember this clip that went viral on the seventh of October, twenty twenty one. Tell me what you're what you're drinking there. Can I high hoop? And is that what you've got? That's what I've got. Mate. That's Alan That's speaking in the background, and as you can hear there, he had a can of high hopes. I've caught up with Alan to see whether his high hopes, sorry to mention it again, um, have been matched over the last 12 months. And this is what he and the rest of the panel had to say about the best thing that Newcastle United's owners have done in the last year. The best thing that uh, the the owners have done, they've been hands-on and that communication has been spot on. Uh, can't fault anything they've done over the last year. Honestly, I genuinely don't think the owners at this point have stepped a single foot wrong. Managerial appointment was incredible. Transfers have been incredible. But specifically, what stands out to me, amongst them trying to improve the infrastructure of the whole club, so the women's team, the youth team, the training facilities, the one thing that stands out the most to me is the communication with the fans and the general way that they've embraced us and haven't shied away and have approached us and welcomed us, and welcomed questions, welcomed criticism even at times, if there has been any. So that for me is the one thing that they've done right and it's always had the fans on board, always communicated with the fans and always engaged with us because what makes Newcastle United so great are the fans. In terms of what the owners have done in the last 12 months, the, the, the biggest thing really is to, is to bring back the hope and it's to bring back the the excitement to go into the game and making sure that everyone is there and pulling in the same direction. The difference in the atmosphere from day one after the takeover in the ground is is amazing. And you've got people who are all there wanting the same thing, wanting to support the club, and the positivity hasn't hasn't dropped since then. Well, shown ambition the transfer market, um, you know, with signing Kieran Trippier, you know, an experience proven. Right back, uh, who'd won La Liga with Atletico Madrid. And obviously signing younger players with a lot of potential. Guimaraes, uh, Botman, Isaac. And of course, we've had to, we've signed, you know, players that, um, you know, work hard for the team. For example, Dan Byrne, even if they're not um, the biggest names. And of course, they've got work done on the training ground. Uh, at the minute, you know... When I've been there to get photos of the players, I've seen the construction work going on. So hopefully that'll be done quite quickly. So another good round of answers there. And I just want to point out because um, Aaron's looking at me with a bit of bemusement. Chris, if you're listening, Chris from Chester, you sound an awfully lot like a rival podcaster from another news outlet. We're not going to mention the rival podcaster, even though he's a lovely bloke. I can assure you, though, you guys listening, it isn't the person that you think it sounds like. It is Chris from Chester. So just to uh, clarify that, because Aaron is looking at me thinking it is definitely the rival podcaster, but it's not. Um, 
back to the answers then. And the the running theme there that you got from most of the panel, Aaron, was the fact that the the new the new owners have installed or reinstalled hope and communication, which they have done. And it's clear you see it on match days, you see it on social media. It's just a buzz around the city. But goodness me, how far had Newcastle United fallen when, in my opinion, the two most basic things as a club owner that you you should just do without really thinking is provide hope to your fan base and provide that communication. And under Mike Ashley, it just wasn't there. And to be celebrating the fact that the new owners are doing that shows you just how far things had fallen under the previous regime. I think Mike Ashley probably didn't think of it as a big thing to not speak to the fans, but I think, as you've just touched on there, the amount of respect that the new owners have gained from simply just talking and communicating with fans and the trust and the food bank and whatever shows how far you know that goes. I think you know Mike Ashley would never hear from him unless it was sort of nameless statements and you know released from the club. I mean that Joe Willock one ring you know sticks out about the club having to justify not spending any money because they signed Joe Willock. You know, every couple of years he would come out and give a Daily Mail interview to his favourite journalists who would, you know, throw him softball questions. And he'd come out with super stuff saying, I'm not leaving till I've won a trophy. And I think, you know, there was sort of a, from our side, you thought that he was probably just doing it to get a rise out of the fans. He was saying things to wind them up. Um, and look, I just think what the new owners have done with the, you know, speaking to the fans, getting them on side, asking what they want from the club. And I mean, us as journalists as well, you know, we... You know, obviously I wasn't at the Chronicle much under Mike Ashley, but, or sorry, at all under Mike Ashley. Um, but I know that obviously the relationship with the club wasn't the best. Now you look at, you know, whenever a new appointment gets made in the boardroom, you know, there's a point of bringing them down and meeting the local journalists, even if it's just for five minutes. Um, you know, the club are pushing out a lot of big interviews with all their new sort of boardroom appointments. A lot more transparency. And look, I think, as I said, Mike Ashley didn't see any value in that. It wasn't a money-making thing for him. There was no point really doing it. But it goes such a long way with his fan base. Well, for me, that's what they've done the best in the last 12 months is appoint the right people in the right positions instead of having one man doing everything at the club, like Lee Charnley was, but then even he had to go to someone above him and that person then had to go to Mike Ashley to get the big decisions signed off. Whereas here, they've got you know some really big hitters in the right positions you know you've got Dan Ashworth if you're looking around uh, people at the top of the tree then he's there you've then got Downhills again someone who's got a proven track record in growing a club commercially where we know that is something that Newcastle United failed to, to, to be good at over the last 14 years and they are appointing people who probably cost a big whack of uh, monthly wage as well but they're, 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 they're ready to pay that because they know the rewards are going to outstrip however much they have to pay to get these people in. If you pay for the best, then you'll get the rewards. And that, that for me, is exactly the right approach to take. And the fact that they are, they have appointed, you know, Dan Ashworth and Downhills, two big appointments. For me, just building, you know, a, building a good board, building good a good structure from top to bottom, someone that Eddie Howe can go to and talk to and work well with is so important because as much criticism that we throw at Steve Bruce and, uh, and Lee Charnley as well, and and most of it is deserved. You also have to look at it and say, well, in some ways the hands were slightly tied because you know Lee Charnley was there and he was doing it all, but he couldn't actually make the big decisions. So you know it's it's so refreshing to have a club that's got the right people in these right positions. 
Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, you look back at some of the signings of recent years under Bruce and Benitez and there was no cohesion. You know, there was players that Rafa didn't want, but Ashley would sign them anyway. There was players that Ashley wanted to sign and Rafa point break fused and he thought, right, well, as soon as Bruce comes in, I'm going to give them anyway. And that was, you know, sort of the story with Joel Linton. So yeah, now there's there's a structure. They've brought in Ashworth, who's going to cover a lot of bases, but he's going to work in tandem with Howe, work in tandem with Stavely and the Saudis. As you've touched on, Darren Eels, a fantastic appointment from uh, his work in the MLS. And I think also, you know, the appointment of Majed al um, who has those Saudi links, obviously uh, the CEO of Saudi Golf, will help with that commercial push and make Newcastle, you know, get these sponsorship deals in, which can then in turn allow them to spend more on the transfer market. Yeah, lots of interesting appointments. And obviously the, the other good thing is the work they're doing in the academy, you know, we'd all like to see more players coming through there. They're, they're signing some really good players and obviously improving the facilities as well, which is uh, another uh, big uh, demand of fans and quite rightly, and probably of players as well, because let's be honest, the training ground isn't up to scratch. It's good to see them. They've already started work on that and there's there's talk of, you know, potentially a, a new training ground somewhere in the future. Um, one thing they've also done is improve the... Uh, relationship with the Newcastle United Supporters Trust. So let me introduce uh, one of the trust members and he's going to share what's gone on over the last 12 months between the trust and the new Newcastle United owners. My name is Thomas Concannon. I'm from the Newcastle United Supporters Trust. The biggest change between the new ownership and the previous owner, it's chalk and cheese. The previous owner wasn't here didn't get involved, belittled our fan base, belittled the football club, didn't do anything to improve us as a team, didn't do anything to heal relationships between the club and the fans, did nothing for our city. And you see now the new owners came in, have have this incredible vision not just for the football club not just for the fan base but for the entire city and the entire region the fact that they're there they're visible they're involved in every department seeking to improve every department it's just a fantastic thing um you know you feel a genuine relationship with with the owners of your football club which is just a fantastic feeling that sense of pride is back we we all thought we'd lost it and and they've just given it back and and we see a club that's that's striving to be better that's that's on the up that is aiming for the heights that we all we all obviously dream about we don't demand it but we obviously dream about it um and you know the the club are just are, are putting the resources they're getting the right people in place in all the key departments and and just making us a a better football club which ultimately will help the fan base it will help the region um and I just can't wait to be a part of of what is to come in in many many years. I think the fact that we've had a, a a sort of a sort of relationship with the with the the owners even since before they took over, um, that's meant quite a lot to the members of the supporters trust, to the board members of the supporters trust, but just the Newcastle United fans as a whole. How well they've spoken about our region, how well they've spoken about our city and the people it just means a lot to us that that people care that much because we've just we haven't had that in Newcastle United for so long 
to see people getting so invested in our region, um, it really does mean a lot. And the fact that the owners have, have obviously been involved with the Supporters Trust, they've met us, you know, they've listened to what we've had to say. Um, they have obviously set up a new Supporters Services Department, which is great because that'll, that'll build the structured dialogue processes that come in place. We hopefully have a fan engagement standard that will that will mean that supporters have a greater involvement and a bigger say on the running of their football club on key decisions that affect fans the most. The, that's the best thing that the club have done is they've shown the willingness to get fans in and get meet them, talk to them, listen to them and take them along on this journey because Newcastle fans deserve to be treated with respect. It's as simple as that. It's all we've demanded and we, we haven't got it for so long and now we're getting it from from the new owners that came in and obviously Newcastle fans and myself are, are very, very thankful for that. So thanks there to Thomas for sharing what's gone on between the Trust and the club since the takeover. And just another sign of the owners kind of understanding the community and how important you know the fan base is. And we've seen it with the the food bank as well with you know the Ruben Foundation matching the home uh, donations that are collected on, on on match day. We've seen it with the work with the foundation. There's 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 loads they're doing to support the community and you know to support one element. Some people might say, ah, oh, it's a massive PR stunt, but I mean they're supporting every single element of it, so it's definitely not a PR stunt. I think they genuinely understand how important it is to have these relationships, whether it be with the trust with the foundation, with the food bank, and just with the fan base as a whole? I think they just get the city, you know, obviously they aren't Geordies, they're not from the area, but you can tell they understand what it means, Davey said, from day dot when she first tried to buy the club, that, you know, she came to the city and she just sort of fell in love with it. You see how active they are on social media, you see they're always mobbed by selfies whenever they're out in the city, they're going to women's games, they're going to training sessions, you've even got... Yasser Al-Ramayan this week doing an interview in Saudi Arabia saying that there's a lot of investment opportunities in the city of Newcastle, nothing to do with the football club. And similar to what Manchester City have done with Eastlands, you know, they have regenerated an area of Manchester that we will probably see in Newcastle over the next couple of years. Um, so look, people will, will be cynical and say it's a PR stunt, but um, they're putting a lot of effort into what is a PR stunt if, that's, if that is the case. Yeah, it's just great to see them kind of opening the doors to to all these community aspects and it's going to be really fascinating to see where they go from here. The other thing they've done is uh, welcome back War Flags, the supporters group who put on fantastic flag displays at the start of every home game at St. James' Park. They took a hiatus under Mike Ashley. They didn't feel it was right to to do what they do and pretend that everything was all rosy when it wasn't. They returned for that Spurs game, the first game under the new ownership with a fantastic quote from Jimmy Neal's Big River song. And ever since, the, the flag displays have just been absolutely superb. Many of you guys will still remember that Arsenal one and uh, there's been you know the Miggy one against, against City. There's been loads to really uh, remember. So I've just caught up with one member from War Flags and he just explains a little bit about what's gone on over the last 12 months. Last season almost felt like we'd won something just because we'd been taken over and we could finally have that feeling that we had some notion of, of our club being back. 
um, and, and specifically for the flags, just the the sort of um, the onus was really upon us, I guess, to to kind of say we're back and, and really come back with a bang and and to really encapsulate what that was all about. Um, it was it was an absolute pleasure. I was don't get me wrong. It was it was difficult at times because the the time that you spend on debating these displays and sort of purchasing the materials and planning the materials and planning the workload and all of that it's it it's not done in a very uh, structured way necessarily or it certainly hasn't been previously but um for us it, it was just a case of all hands on deck get it done and and in doing what we did you know hopefully we did encapsulate the feeling that was in the fan base and um and truly sort of show that Newcastle was ready to be put back on the map both in the stands and on the pitch. Thanks there to Chris for sharing a bit of insight into war flags under this new Newcastle United ownership and it is now a major part of match day isn't it war flags and we we, we saw what happens when they're not there and for understandable reasons they didn't put on a, a display ahead of the Bournemouth game because of the passing of the Queen. But I did feel Newcastle United were impacted by them not putting on a display. And they are just, they are that 12th man. You know, they get the fans going, they get the players going. They, you know, Eddie Howe's mentioned them. I don't know how many times he mentioned them, but it's quite a few times this season. You know, the players are well aware. I mean, mention them by name as well. You know, what we're seeing, you know, Dan Burns, reference war flags they know what they're called and that just goes to show you just how big of an impact this group are really having on on Newcastle United I don't think you can you know overstate how important they've been the last 12 months and really how you know the 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 games you've mentioned there the Arsenal game from the minute that first whistle went you know Newcastle United put in probably their arguably their best performance under Eddie Howe and you felt that it was because of the atmosphere before the game I thought the atmosphere was quite flat against Bournemouth, as you say, it was to be expected given the circumstances around it, but you do miss them when they're not there. And I think for players like Isaac coming over and, you know, he's seeing his flag in the stands for the first game, players like Maxi getting the special treatment, Miggy getting the special treatment of those solo flags, because you've got to remember these players are still young, you know, that they're younger than me and you. They're in a league, they're away from home and they've got, you know, this big boost before a game I can't even imagine how much confidence must fill them with but it's been one of the best things for me over the last 12 months is seeing not war flags return but the way they've sort of grown into this thing that is now actually really crucial at St James's Park Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We kind of set the bar, haven't we, with, with their displays? Set so far too high. I don't know how they're going to trump it in the next couple of months because it's been amazing. So. Well, I'm understanding there's there's something special in the works, so um, watch out for that. But what I have also loved is seeing the owners get involved as well. You know, wanting flags on their seats and 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 taking part in it and and letting as well, 
you know, the guys and girls go in during the week and, and, and prepare the, 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 the displays. have kind of had a free run in many ways to get up to level seven and stuff. And that, that's brilliant, just opening up and saying, okay, here's your canvas, go and do what, what you need to do. But you also just get the sense that with uh, my dad, Gadusi and Jamie Rubin flying the, the black and white flags and all that and, and saying, yeah, I want one on my seat on, on, on match day. You get the sense that when you, you, you strip back the wealth and the business acumen, you know, they're absolutely loving this ride and they want to, as best as they can, you know, enjoy it like a fan does. And that is probably, with all due respect, the closest they're going to get. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, it was brilliant to see Yasuo Aramayan flying that flag the first game he came. Um, Ruben and Gadusi obviously love doing it every game. I think they have just bought into being fans now. I think if they left Newcastle United tomorrow for whatever reason, they would still have a, you know Newcastle United in their hearts because the city have welcomed them in as honorary Geordies already. And and obviously War Flags has played a big part of that. Do you think Al Romani's been taken back a little bit by you know the that I mean that Spurs game, for example, was was was, was something rather special. I mean that'll be a, a day that will stay with fans I suspect for, for the whole of their lives. Do you think he was kind of wow? Okay, Ooh, well, what, I, we, we've you know we've invested in something rather special here. I think I think he is, and, I, and I'm just going to go back to that interview that he did in Saudi Arabia on Monday because he starts talking about why they bought Newcastle, and he says the reason we bought Newcastle is because other big clubs were asking us for 700 million pounds, but we were only going to get 30 percent of the club. Newcastle came along and said, we want 300 million, but we're going to give you complete control. So that was the reason they bought it, was because they're getting an amazing deal. He then goes on to say, Newcastle United can become such a big club because there's a million fans in the city, and uh, there's a million people in the city, sorry, and they're all fans of Newcastle United. We've got 52,000 fans in the stadium and we sell out every week. And I was actually watching this interview thinking, you know, he's going back to Saudi Arabia and he's thinking... He's telling them all about St. James's Park and the club. And I think he really does, you know, have this club in his heart now. I know it's just, you know, on the face of it, just another PIF investment to their colossal fund that they've got. But I think you get the sense that he's really, really enjoying it as, as chairman of this club. We will get on to the controversies that have come with co-Saudi ownership of Newcastle because we, we have to. It is something that we, we have to address. We couldn't do this episode without asking our panel about the controversies that come. I also asked the panel whether there was anything that the owners could have done better in the last 12 months. And the answers came back, not really, but there was one answer and I will play it because I I felt it was quite an interesting response. Um, It's come from Chris, who who sounds like the rival podcaster. Um, Let me just play his response to, could the owners have done anything better in the last 12 months? It's just something that they could do, they can improve on. I think they need to be careful about managing expectations. I'm not. I don't think it's overly helpful to start talking about winning the league in five to ten years. Realistically, we're light years away from being able to do that, and I don't think that's necessarily what we want. It's what it's not necessarily what we want to hear. So I think just being a bit more realistic would be would be a good thing. What do you make of Chris's comments there? Then I don't know if the owners have been unrealistic. I know we've talked earlier in the show about. I'm saying they want to win the Premier League, but Stavey did put a caveat on that, that it was, you know, a 10-year plan and they don't expect it overnight. They've said, you know, Eddie Howe is their man and, you know, they see him as their next Sir Alex Ferguson in terms of what he did at My United. You know, it doesn't look like a club that are, you know, 
going to really make rash decisions if things aren't going right. It feels like they're sticking to you know, the resource. I think if the fans haven't lost faith in how, the owners won't have. Um, and I actually think they've been quite sensible with their ambitions, like I've said earlier, not breaking their wage budget, not splashing so much cash on you know, huge big name players that would disrupt the dressing room. Um, but I do, I do agree with Chris to an extent that they do need to be, you know, the expectations of the full fan base need to be managed. And I think Eddie Howe's been very lucky so far that he hasn't really had a, you know, a bad period. And I think when that period does eventually come, inevitably, you know, it's up to the fan base to say, look, yes, we're doing well. We've got all this wealth behind us and we can do big things, but, you know, we we can't, forget our roots and I think that is when the test comes and the expectations will come into play when they actually start struggling for a change it's going to be an interesting one to watch on to then the controversies that come with co-Saudi ownership a lot was said initially when the deal went through and every so often it does uh, you know come back to the to the to the front of things where do you stand currently are you still where you were when the deal went through which um correct me if i'm wrong but it was you know that these uh these issues have to be discussed we can't run away from them and probably the best thing to do is actually to discuss human rights issues and and, and the other issues out in the open because that might actually be the best way to to bring about change yeah 100 percent. my my viewpoint hasn't changed in the last 12 months as to you know how i feel about this ownership and that is you know slightly conflicted of Yes, they're going to do amazing things for the football club and the region and the city, but actually, you know, it is the responsibility of us journalists and as fans to keep our eyes open as to what is happening in Saudi Arabia with some, you know, quite frankly, horrific human rights um, abuses. And I think, you know, it isn't right of fans to just say, well, it's happening over there and, you know, it's a separate thing to the football club. I think the responsibility is actually on support as to, you know, become aware of it, educate yourself on it um, and not shy away in it or play it down. I was speaking to someone the other day and, and I asked them a similar question and their response was something along the lines of, well, why do we need to keep talking about it? You know, we, we, we've talked about it. What happens if we continue to kind of just repeat the same questions of the same subjects? I, I do get that point and I think, you know, some in the national media get accused of trying to, you know, bring it up more than they should. But I think, you know, when something big happens in Saudi Arabia, when a big sort of human rights story breaks over there, it is always good to just remind people that, look, this is happening and you can't just turn a blind eye to it. Um, I'm going to play a clip now from the panel. I asked them about the controversies and how they feel about their club being part-owned by Saudi. The scrutiny, I think, is fair. Um, of the Saudis regarding them as owners of our club because there's no getting away from the fact the human rights record is appalling. Um, I am torn as a Newcastle fan. Um, you know, a lot of what's gone on I'm not comfortable with. I can understand the scrutiny um, and I understand the issues that comes up with the Saudi ownership. All I would say is obviously as Newcastle fans, they don't get a choice on who owns the football club. Really, it's a case of, you know, politics shouldn't be brought into sport. And, you know, the issues in Saudi aren't anything to do with the uh, current owners. So, really, those issues should be kept out of anything football-related because the owners are here 
to make the club as, as successful as possible. Whatever goes on in Saudi has got nothing to do with the owners. So politics and sport should be kept apart. On a personal level, yes, there was definite unease about Saudi involvement, but they are not the only country with their own issues. We have our own here. There are several other countries with human rights issues, but I do believe that if you feel comfortable enough as a Newcastle fan, or even as a football fan in general, to speak on these things, then you definitely shouldn't shy away from it. I think that it's really good to welcome these conversations and invite change, invite any sort of, you know, protests or positive comments around things like this, because ultimately the majority of people speaking on things like this helps to ignite that change. So, yeah, definite unease, of course, and I know I speak for a lot of people, but mostly people are just interested in their club and interested in their football, and that's absolutely fine too. I've thought the accusations of sports washing have always been slightly overblown simply because the way the takeover is taking place it hasn't looked like a pr stunt it hasn't looked like oh make everyone think we're great in saudi arabia it looks more like a business investment and uh, the owners have been operating things like a business they've been measured in their investment there's there's budgets being followed. It's not just we're going to throw money and look at how great we are. So I think a lot of the cries of sports washing aren't dealing with the reality of what's happening with the Newcastle takeover. I think it's a bunch of people who perhaps rightly don't like the interaction with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and want to curtail it. And I also think it's a lot of people who are jealous of the potential wealth and access to funding that Newcastle will have. It's not sports washing. There are concerns with Saudi Arabia, and if you've got that, I understand. But I think the people who protest protest a little too much and too quickly and with not enough precision regarding what's going on with Newcastle itself. After the excitement and joy of the takeover finally got through, you have to face the reality that now the club is owned by a state, a state with a poorly human records. And that, of course, puts the fans in a dilemma. In Norway, we have a journalist who was a Newcastle supporter, but he announced on social media that he no longer was because of the takeover. And I think it's important as a fan that you have to respect that people will have a different opinion and will act differently when they come to have owners from Saudi Arabia. I think it is very important for Newcastle fans to have a broad picture of what this means and who Saudi Arabia is. Because, of course, it's not a good country. It uh, is poorly on human records and it's understandable that people will react as they do. But I think it's also important to remember that as fans, you really don't have anything saying who is owning the club. We didn't want Mike Ashley, couldn't get rid of him. Uh, we didn't choose the owners who are now. So it's not really fair for uh, that uh, the fans is getting this dilemma. So I think it's the most important that, that you have, <laughs> have an open mind and don't defend Saudi Arabia. I think it's perfectly perfectly fine to be fan of Newcastle, be glad for Amanda Staveley, Gadusi and Jamie Rubin and still say I don't 
don't, <laughs> I don't like Saudi Arabia and don't uh, accept that part of it. But you can still be glad for what's happened with the club, happen for glad for the future for the club. So at mostly how to comprehend this, I think, is be open-minded, get information, and don't go in a defending position of Saudi Arabia. So some difference in, of opinion then it is, you know, a, a topic for debate on social media and in the pubs and clubs around Newcastle. And I think there, as Chris said in the last answer, it's important to realise that people are allowed to have different opinions. And I can see why people want to leave the topic alone. I can see why people want to continue to keep it in the public domain. Um, you know, and as Chris said, that everyone is allowed to, to share a different opinion. I think for both of us, Aaron, and I don't want to speak for you, uh, but I'm, I'm about to, I think probably the key element there is that it's not up to fans to choose who they have in charge of their club. So, you know, throwing the sports watching accusation and, and, and some people have said when well, Newcastle fans should protest, they should, you know, they should do something to get these owners out. It's not up to them they've got no say they had no say in Mike Ashley they've got no say in in this ownership so for me I think it's very harsh that especially at the beginning of of, of this this takeover at the, the beginning of this ownership Newcastle United fans were kind of told make a stand when let's be honest if you look at the UK government for example you look at other clubs owned by other um, countries where are the similar calls for, for Newcastle, for, for their fans or the government, for example, to, to make a similar stance? Yeah, I don't think Newcastle United fans should be vilified for continuing to support Newcastle United. Um, despite the ownership, I think, you know, there was a bit of hysteria when the takeover first happened of some national journalists saying that Newcastle fans should just stop supporting the club as if it was that easy. Um, I think, you know, that point that Chris made is... is very true and I think fans have the right to feel whichever way they want about it and that you know to an extent is for me it's a bit it's a big thing because I spoke to people this time last year who actually were saying you know I probably need to walk away from this football club um you know a couple of members of the LGBTQ community who said you know I can't in good faith continue to you know champion these owners given what happens in Saudi Arabia and they are just as entitled to their view as fans that will say, you know, this Saudi ownership is brilliant for the club. So, as I said before, I think it's just important to stress that, you know, these sports washing accusations only really become true if fans turn a blind eye to what's happening over there um, and just completely dismiss it at every turn. Yeah, and also you've got to realise, you know, Amanda Stavely, a woman, is in a high position at Newcastle United. You know, the, um, the, the flag support and pride have been flown at St James as part of the women's side as we well know are having investment and are going to become a massive part of this football club so those elements of Newcastle United perhaps wouldn't be as big in, in Saudi but the fact they're happening here under Saudi ownership can only be a good thing and maybe that could bring around some sort of change who knows it's going to be a fascinating one to, to follow over the next uh, couple of months and years and the next 12 months for Newcastle United in the Premier League, Touchwood, is going to be fascinating. And for you, Aaron, what, what, what can Newcastle United achieve over the next 12 months, starting with this season and then looking ahead to, to what would be, you know, kind of a few months into to the season afterwards? 
I think, you know, on the pitch, I think this season, the start they've had, you know, they've only really lost one game and that was after a 98th minute, you know, cruel uh, goal at Liverpool. I think this season they can they can push teams and try and get in and around that European spot. Whether they, they manage to do it and get over the line, I'm not too sure. I feel they might just fall too short, but look, they're going to give it a good go. I think Eddie Howe's got the, the group in a fantastic place. And I think on the pitch over the next 12 months, they'll take that step towards the top six, whether they break it or not, sure. Um, off the pitch, I think they'll continue to make shrewd appointments in the boardroom. I think we'll see not only changes to the current training ground, but we'll probably see them actually say, right, we're going to pick the location and move to the to the new one. Um, and look, I think there'll just be another year of hope for the fan base for a change. If there's one priority for you over the next 12 months... I've, I've said it in the survey that we ran earlier this week and I think it would be a training ground. I think it's very, very welcome what they've done to the, the Benton base and I think those upgrades were so needed um, given that report came out saying that it wasn't even championship standard. But I think if Newcastle really want to become, you know, break into the top six and make it a top seven, they need a state-of-the-art, world-class training facility like the likes of Leicester and Everton have, have went and built in the last couple of years. Um, to help them attract the you know the best type of players. Mm. Let's get back to the panel, who I'm sure you will agree have been absolutely fantastic. So thank you to everyone who you've heard from today, and and everyone as well that sent in uh, voice memos that I couldn't quite get into the episode. But I asked uh, our panel what their hopes are for the next twelve months under this ownership at Newcastle United. Next twelve months, I hope obviously we finish in a European in the European places and uh, a cup run and maybe a cup would be nice also and that I would say would really cap off a remote, a successful season. I want to see Newcastle continue to build slowly and to build a lasting good club. I don't want to see money splashed on divas who don't want to play. I don't want to see it on aging veterans just trying to make a quick buck. I like that we're signing a lot of young kids for the academy. I want stability. I want gradual improvement. My ideal hopes for this season is I'd love to see Newcastle be in single-digit losses. I'd like to see us turn some of those losses from last year into draws. And then maybe next year start turning more of those draws into wins, but just to have Solid, competitive, hardworking club in every match. That's what I want to see. And I'm really pleased with how uh, things are developing and how they are building. My hopes for the next 12 months. It, it's just strange to, to even think about that as a concept, as a Newcastle United fan again, the fact that we have any hope at all of anything. Um, you know, we, we basically, you know, I'm hoping that things continue the way that, that, that they go. It's early days, as I say, but the way that we're playing, the way that we're going, you know, the unlucky against, like, some Man City and Liverpool, that shows where we are. And, um, you know, keeping everybody fit and bringing some new faces in to, to build and build, we may just may end up getting into Europe for next season. Um, but, as I say, we, we should build and build and build and hopefully if we don't do it this time round, we're going to be challenging up there the season after. Um, it's just on a, on an upward spiral. It's it's just fantastic to be alive to witness this. Honestly, it's just brilliant. I'm just looking for us to get better, continue to improve the quality of the squad, 
continue to push up the table and try and uh, improve our overall position. Cup run would be great, but you never know what's going to happen with um, with the draw that you might get. But to be honest, if we're challenging for top six within 12 months, even this season, top eight would be fine. I think that's progress. It's all about what the next um, what the next 10 years or so is going to bring. It's really hard to explain my hopes for the next 12 months simply because my Newcastle United related hopes have been fulfilled in such a short space of time. But I would really like a decent cup run this season. I would really like us to finish comfortably top 10 because despite the narrative around us, I would be really, really happy with that. And I do think we have the ability in the squad to do so. Next year, I would love to be pushing for Europe, at least Europa Conference League. I mean, that could even happen this season. So, yeah, I just want everything to go the way that it's going. I want everything to continue with the positivity that it has done. And, yeah, I'm really, really, for once, absolutely excited for the future of this club. My hopes for the next 12 months is just realistic progression. Again, maybe establishing ourselves in the top 10, winning a cup competition, and then gradual progression in uh, establishing ourselves in European competitions. My hopes for the next 12 months would be to keep doing what we're doing, keep progressing, keep getting stronger in every position on the pitch, keep getting behind the team, keep getting behind Eddie Howe, get that feel-good factor back around the club and to keep taking it step by step. If we finish ninth at the end of this season, then... I'll be really happy with eight for the season after and seventh and so on and so forth. So to keep improving the team, keep improving the club and, and to get that connection and feel good factor back in the city. I think we need to send that clip maybe to some national pundits because very realistic group of Newcastle United fans there. Uh, a cup run would do them. Ninth, tenth place finish would do them. As you guys know who listen to the Everything is Black and White podcast regularly, 11th or 12th would do me. But I think... What we're getting there is that fans are fully accepting of, as we spoke about earlier in the show, this slow and steady process that it's going to take. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen over two or three seasons. It's going to be a gradual build. And listening to the panel there, that's all right with them. Yeah, they've clearly got the memo that we need to manage expectations. They haven't um, gone overboard with their predictions. And I can't really disagree with any of them, really. I think that... um, a top half finish would be an improvement I think trying to push towards a Europa League spot or a European Conference League spot should be the aim this season um, but there's no you know, there's no negativity if they don't make it that far Can Newcastle win a cup this season? They can, I don't see why not I think Eddie Howes came out and vowed to give it a good go um, You know, he fielded a strongish team against Tramia there was no complacency from him um, so look, I think they'll give it a good go and I think what is a massive boost for them in terms of trying to win a cup is the fact that Touchwood they probably aren't going to be fighting relegation this year. They can go, you know, gung ho at this cup run, both the League Cup and the FA Cup, knowing that they aren't going to be sort of wasting resources or energy um, that could have been used in a relegation year uh, battle over in previous years. And just going to something Davey said there, he said it was a strange concept to just talk about hopes. Again, it just. When you take a step back and you listen to some of the answers here from our panel, it it, it does it strikes you, doesn't it, just how how detached Newcastle had become, how detached the fans had become from their club under Mike Ashley. There was no point even asking fans this, you know, eighteen months ago because you knew that 
you know, there wasn't going to be a cup run, there wasn't going to be any attempt at a cup run, and there probably wasn't any real appetite to finish, you know, higher than 17th. If 17th came, then it was a bonus, and it, really it was just avoid relegation at all costs. So I completely agree that it does feel slightly surreal to be sat here talking about, well, you know, they could get it in Europe. Even though it's been 12 months, I don't think it's really sank in for me yet. It's been a really interesting 12 months, and it's going to be another interesting season to come, and we'll bring you it all on chroniclelive.co.uk and through the Everything is Black and White podcast. Thank you to the guests who formed the panel, including the American chap we heard there called Eric. Didn't manage to get his introduction in, um, so I'll just introduce him there right there and there. So thank you for your input. I'm going to leave you with messages from the panel, messages to the new owner. So if me, dad, Amanda, Jamie, or uh, the Public Investment Fund, anyone from there is listening, these messages are specifically for you. Uh, most of them, if not all of them, are a message of thanks and gratitude. Uh, so let me uh, finish the episode on a very, very, very positive note. Aaron, before I do, thank you for popping on and sharing your thoughts on the last 12 months of this new, for the final time, Newcastle United ownership. And here are the messages from our panel. If I could say one thing to the owners, it's, I think as many people would say, it's thank you. It's thank you for bringing back the excitement. It feels like it did under Keegan the first time round. I didn't think we were ever going to get that back again. So from my perspective, thank you for that. But not just for me, it's also for my kids who, despite not being born in Newcastle, support the club and probably have wondered why for a number of years they've got that excitement and that drive. Well, you have to start to say thank you to the owners who... With the persons and with their all um, good work they have done and all things they have promised for the future, it's um, it's bringing really joy to my everyday life. It's uh, how they're bringing hope, bringing joy, bringing uh, fans together. I can say it's um, you just have to say thank you. It's uh, I hope they understand how important this club means for not just the people in Newcastle but for the people outside England and I really appreciate that so I hope they do and I will just say thank you thank you Fred my message to the owners it's very simply I would say keep going the way that you're going it's just fantastic to see owners that are you know taking a part in in you know community things and all of that kind of stuff, it's it's fantastic. But in terms of the club, just, you know, you've got a vision. We know it's in safe hands. We're more than happy, you know, to go along on the ride with yourselves. And it's just a brilliant to be a part of. Um, I cannot really fault anything at all at the moment. And, you know, with Eddie Howe at the helm and, uh, you know, the, the, the way the owners have, have gone on so far, it's, it's brilliant. In regards to messaging the owners, I would say, well done. Great work so far. You, you're definitely uh, taking the right steps. Keep up the good work. And I hope that your tenure goes from strength to strength and gets the greatest success possible thanks for the work they've done improving the training ground improving the side the stadium giving us ambition and you know hope and a bit of tlc and you know enjoyment and being owners and being enthusiastic and buoyed and wanting to improve and wanting to progress the club 
realistically um in, you know enjoying being owners in newcastle um and more of the same really of the previous 12 months i thought i don't think as a newcastle fan that's really for much more than that a message to the owners would be thank you for choosing us you know as a fan i can confidently say the club is something special you know you've had 13 years of, of a difficult period where you were still having 50,000 fans turn up at a club that previous ownerships didn't care about their fans and their customers. Now, to have a fan base like that to still turn up in the numbers that they have is something special. You know, you have a one club in one city that is unique all across the country or all across the world. And to right. people up north, they're very passionate. They're very, very hands-on with, a, with their football club and it's like one of their own. And they don't take that for granted. So to have owners come in and care and to match their ambition and to match their energy is just something special. And I hope going forward, you know, we can have a lot better times than what we did in the previous 13 years. So if I had one message, it would, it would just be to say thank you from uh, from me as a Newcastle fan, but I can't speak for the others. I want to thank you for your diligence and your patience in the takeover. Uh, the Newcastle is a gem of a community. The, the Geordie fans are fabulous. I can see that even from the US. And when this all comes together and when Newcastle is rolling and successful, the, the joy, the celebration, the benefit, it's gonna be fantastic. And thank you for taking the time and diligence to, to see that that can come about. Uh, this is a great club and when it's well run, it's gonna be a, a beautiful thing to behold. My message to the owners is one of simplicity and that is simply thank you. Thank you for inspiring four generations of my family to believe and hope in the club that we all follow again. Thank you for inspiring future generations to follow our club. Thank you for always including the fans in everything that you do. And thank you simply for bringing the United back into Newcastle United.